Today, just on the other side of the glass, is Paul Roberts. Paul's at the Nerve Center. And communicating with Paul, he can bring to my attention maybe your thoughts or ideas or questions that you would like me to work into the interview that I have planned today with our author who wrote the book Into the Black, A Tale of True American Pedigree. He is Robert Brian Johnson. Interesting book. Uh, the back cover says, if Ann Rand and Dale Carnegie had a love child, his name would be Kevin uh, Ken Bryce. And we're going to get into a little bit more about this love child, the brainstorm for this story, and uh, more background from the author, Robert Brian Johnson. But first, we're going to take a commercial break. We'll be right back after these words. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Com. I got stuff to the right, more stuff to the left. Got enough stuff, but I can't take a step. So I smart stopped and took a minute to think. I need a little better spot, not under the sink. With smart stop, I leave the stress at the door. Cause it's the smart old way to store. Smart stop bucks the system. Your first month's rent is just a buck. Your next three months are half off. Call 888-97-STORAGE and mention this station. Goodbye clutter, hello floors. Smart stop, the smarter way to store. And welcome back to Critter Mass. Rick Franzi, I am your host. Sorry about that. I got tongue-tied there for a second. Let's try again. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. I was thinking and speaking at the same time, which can be dangerous here at the radio station. Not a good thing. Anyway, I did want to thank, I do want to thank those in our listening audience who, in addition to listening to the program live, listen to our show as a podcast, either through Apple iTunes, Stitcher, or one of the other podcasting services we are now using to beam our message to you, our listening audience. Latest numbers say that we've trending about 7,000 downloads in the last 30 days, and we greatly appreciate you making our program a part of your business learning curriculum, and you find them entertaining as well as informative. And I'm sure this next guest will be just that, both informative and entertaining. As I said, his first book is Into the Black. I'm sorry, my producer's giving me a hand signal. I'm going to jump in. Were we doing Colin first, or are we doing uh, the book first? We're doing the book. Oh, I had Colin queued up. No. Oh, well, then I need to get. I need to call Robert right now. Okay, well, I apologize. <laughs> We're going to uh, – we had a little technical misunderstanding here, but that's okay. It, we can certainly fill the time with valuable information. 
For those of you who live in Southern California, particularly Orange County, and possibly you're available tomorrow, I would highly encourage you to consider attending the Cal State Fullerton Mid-Year Economic Conference Update. It's in Irvine, and um, they're going to be presenting their mid-year forecast. As you know, in the fall, they do their annual economic forecast. This is their mid-year update. It should be informative. And all of us in the business community, both here in Southern California as well as across the country, are concerned about the economic update and forecast. And Cal State Fullerton has a highly accurate forecasting model that they use, and I would encourage you to attend. As I said, we're now going to turn our attention to our first guest, and I'd like to welcome the author of Into the Black, A Tale of a True American Pedigree, Robert Brian Johnson. Welcome to the program. Thanks very much. I really appreciate you having me. It is our pleasure. Let me ask you a little bit with, about your book. So um, for those that maybe haven't heard of your book or heard of you, this is your first book. Congratulations on Thank publishing you. your first novel. I know it's no easy feat, was it? Um, no, it was actually much more difficult than I gave it credit for. <laughs> and you deserve the credit for persevering and creating um, an interesting story and over 300 page novel takes a lot of dedication and ladies and gentlemen if you've ever had a labor of love i'm sure there are stages that you go through as an author in writing the book but let let me ask you what was the inspiration for into the black you know that's an excellent question and unfortunately I, i don't have a very clean answer for that I wanted to uh, make a number of different points. Uh, I wanted to tell a good story. I mean, I wanted to, to spin a good yarn and to to tell a, a good tale that kept the reader involved, the pages were turning and they were engaged with the characters. And then, so that was the first thing I set out to do. And then the second thing I wanted to really accomplish was when the reader put the book down, they found it resonating with them uh, on a number of maybe one or two or multiple levels that they found themselves going back and thinking about the book again, uh, thinking about characters or situations or scenes in the book uh, or principles that came out of the book. Um, and uh, and that's, that's really what I set out to accomplish. And um, so I was, I've been really honored and, and really humbled by some of the feedback that I've gotten. So I've, I've, been, I've been real pleased with it, Greg. Oh, uh, I see that Tom Ziegler, president and CEO of Zig- Ziegler, calls your book a unique and compelling read. And inside the jacket, he speaks even more about Into the Black, a tale of true American pedigree. For those people that maybe haven't, for those people that want to read the book, tell them the premise of the book and a little bit about the story in these covers. If if Dale Carnegie and Ayn Rand had a love child, his name would be Ken Bryce. <laughs> and Ken Bryce is the main character of the book. Um, this story is about him and his family, uh, and uh, it's, it's essentially Ken Bryce's story. Um, he is an entrepreneur. Uh, he is um, uh, obviously an American, and uh, you know it, it is the. Uh, there are a number of themes that revolve around, uh, you know, how he grows up, how he builds a business, and ultimately what happens to him and his family uh, as a result of you know the way he thinks uh, and, and, and and the way he acts. So, uh, 
that so that how, that's a good snapshot of of what the reader should expect. How did you pick, and why did you pick Dale Carnegie and Anne Rand? You know, I was <laughs> I was uh, I was raised on Dale Carnegie and Anne Rand. I was raised on Ock Mandino and and Zig Ziglar and Dale Carnegie, and uh, you know my parents were Dale Carnegie instructors uh, as I grew up. So I I come by it honest. The, the, the truth of it is, I was never given literature to read as a child. I was given self improvement books and how to win friends and influence people mm-hmm. was given to me when I was in third grade. It's the first book I ever read cover to cover, you know. But <laughs> and wow. so in my in my house, in my family, as I grew up, uh, you know, Maxwell Maltz and um, uh, you know James Allen, Think and Grow Rich. Th- these were the books that I was given repeatedly uh, to read, uh, and uh, and I, it wasn't considered reading if I wasn't underlining or highlighting certain passages. <laughs> so so as I said, I. I, I come by it honest, and um, and then uh, the the fiction part of it was, as I said, um, you know that I really I just wanted to to spin a good yarn, and I, I wanted I did not intend to write a self improvement book. I did not intend to write a book that was a step by step how to. Um, and I, uh, in fact, in, in the early versions of the book, one of my editors told me, "Hey, you should put." summations at the end of each of these chapters that the readers can take away and I refused to do it I absolutely wanted to go the other direction and I wanted to write something that was a good story and engage the reader that they ended up loving the characters and then hopefully as I said something resonated with them on the other side of it is there any autobiographical element to this story is are there um, any parallels between your life and Ken's life? Yeah, you know, I lived in Houston and I helped start a technology company in Houston. I live in Atlanta and uh, I own a construction company today. Um, and so I, Ken follows a, a comparable path. However, that the comparison ends there. Um, okay. It, it you know I, I did not grow up like Ken. I did not. Uh, uh, I have not lived the life that Ken has lived in, in this book. And so, um, you know, I think all authors, especially authors of fiction um, and, and self-improvement to, some, to, to a large extent, are going to write about their own experiences and their own personality is going to come out in the writing. There's really no way for it not to do that and it be well-written. Um and so, <clears throat> so yeah, there are some comparisons that, without question. Uh, certainly the way that I see the world, the prism through which I see things, um, you know, that, that is obviously a, a, a main theme throughout the book. But, um, but like I said, uh, you know, I, I never let the facts get in the way of telling a good story. And I commend you on telling a good story on your first attempt. This is your first uh, novel that you've written. Uh, You've started several companies, but this is your first novel. And and I guess I understand completely how you answered that question. And and there are times in Ken's life that are pretty traumatic for those who are going to read the book. I don't want to give it away, but uh, I'm glad that some of this is fiction and not autobiographical because there is some there are some very uh, dark moments in his life that he has to deal with. So sure. 
I, I highly recommend. If someone is interested in finding and buying Into the Black, a true, a tale of true American pedigree, how do they find it? Um, we have a website uh, that they can go to. It's um, fewmenlive.com. Uh, you can also go to allmendie.com. <laughs> Uh, but uh, anyway, it, it gets you there. Uh, but you can find the book on Amazon and, and all the normal places. Uh, it's available in softback, hardback. It's got the, the e the ebook versions are all available as well. Okay. Um, but if they wanted to learn more about the the story or me or, or you know, I, there are some articles that I wrote and you know some other things like that. Uh, you go to fewmenlift dot com and uh, that you know you can you can make some noise there. Great. Let's go in a little different direction for a couple minutes while I have you here on the radio program. Uh, we've talked about the book. You have a belief that now is the greatest time in history. And uh, could you share your philosophy or a little bit why you reason that? Um, absolutely. Uh, in a very short order, I can tell you that, and, and this, is, this is a great point, even in the wake of the, the horrific cowardly attacks in Boston as, as of late, um, this is still the single greatest moment in the history of the universe to be alive and to be a human being. At no point in the history of the universe have we had greater resources at our disposal, greater opportunity, uh, and greater reach than we do at this exact moment, if you back up, Rick, just 30 years, 20 years, the Internet was just beginning. If you back up 30 years, we didn't have cell phones. If, if you back up 50 years, we were, we, were, we were messing around with civil rights that, that we look back at now and we think we smack ourselves in the head and said, how could we possibly have thought that way? You back up a hundred years, and we were entering into World War One. This is the greatest time in the history of the world, and and I, I defy anybody to argue that they would like to go back in time, fifty years, a hundred years, two hundred years, and that the quality of their life, the opportunities that lay before them, the resources they have available are greater at that point in history than they are at this moment that we all have right in front of us. So in in my opinion, this is an undisputable fact. That sounds like a philosophy that might have partly been inspired by what you read that was written by Ayn Rand. Uh, Certainly. um, You know, I'm a a big fan of, uh, of Miss Rand. Uh, I, I loved uh, Atlas Shrugged uh, as one of my all-time favorites. Um, I think that there are some flaws in her uh, objectivism. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to bore your listeners or you, <laughs> um, but uh, I think that there are things greater than commerce. I love um, uh, honor, integrity, uh, pride of doing a good job. Uh, you know, these are things that are, that are intangible, meaning I can't put love in my hand, but because I do have love, I'm able to create or suspend something that I, I couldn't do it without it. So, um, and objectivism 
tends to gloss over some of these intangibles that lead lead us to a better life. And so, um, I'm I guess a big, I'm a big, but I don't mean to be critical. I'm a big fan of, of Miss Rand. I, I guess another way to go with that follow up then would be that uh, sometimes, many times, people romanticize the earlier times when things seemed simpler when we didn't have all this external risk. Um, but your, your view, point of view, uh, which frankly I share as well, I, and I think it is accurate and appropriate, are that these are the greatest times. Do, do you think the future holds more potential than the present? Um, I would think that it would have to. I would think that if you go back just 50 years, um, 1962, um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember this exactly, we were in the middle of a Cuban Missile Crisis with uh, the Soviet Union. And so it, it's, it's not that far back that we, we've had our own crises that we, we were dealing with. We go back. But the, the point I'm making there is that if you put your mind in that moment, the the idea of a cell phone, the idea of the Internet, uh, are, are completely abstract ideas. They, they it's hard to even comprehend what that might be like. Um, and today, obviously, uh, my children will never know what the world was without a cell phone. They will never know what a – here's an example. They won't know what a busy signal sounds like, right? Interesting. Not to mention uh, the rotary dial on the phone. Uh, you know, they have no idea what it is to call someone and it not roll over to voicemail. It, it's incomprehensible to them. So uh, does the future have more opportunity than the present? Sure, absolutely. It's hard to imagine that it not. And that speaks to the underlying basic capability of mankind. I agree. I agree. It is the the ability to to think, the ability to create, the ability to imagine. To, to continue an arc of improvement, even if there are sometimes dark times that we have to go through, like these world wars that you talked about and some of the other challenges as we evolve. All right, let's let's go in another direction because uh, I spoke about before you came on. I was talking about a local. Um, economic forecast that's happening tomorrow here in Orange County, California. Uh, one of the things that they talk about, and all economists do, is you know, unemployment and the jobs reports. From your perspective as a serial entrepreneur and business owner, and from what you've seen uh, in the economy here, how are jobs created? Jobs are created by only one thing. That is a profitable enterprise, period, the end. I invite any human being to debate this issue with me. It couldn't be said, oh, no, 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 this government program created this, blah, 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 blah. If you have a government program that you believe is creating a job, my rebuttal to that is the government program did not create a job. It created a project. When the highway or the bridge or the dam when it was completed, you were then out of work. You did a project. You did not have a job. The thing that creates jobs is profitable business, period. 
So why does, I guess the next question I was going to ask you, but sort of you've answered it already, but talk to us about the importance of profit and why it matters. Profit drives commerce. And when I say it drives commerce, it allows a mom to put gas in her car. It allows a single mom to buy a gallon of milk for her daughter. It allows a dad to go to the sporting event with his son. It allows the granddad to drive in his RV across country. Profit drives everything that we touch on a day-to-day basis. Profit is one of the most important elements of day-to-day living. You take away profit, you vilify the entrepreneur, you vilify the, the, the guy that, or the person, the male or female, that, that runs a bit, creates a business, runs a business profitably, and earns a, a big, fat profit. You vilify that person, and, and you are dooming yourself. When that person makes a profit, that person will spend that money. He or she will spend it on a new car, they'll buy a new house, they'll buy a new boat. All of these things are going back into the economy. The boat manufacturer has to go buy more wood and more lacquer to go on the, on the boat. The, the, the guy that, that uh, builds uh, automobiles has to go buy more rubber from, uh, from the rubber manufacturer to, p- to put tires on the car. Everything begins with profit. It drives commerce. Excellent. Let, let's go on. And we have a few minutes left for you here today on our program, and I appreciate you sharing your perspective. I want, I want you to reflect back in your business career. Think about a valuable lesson that you carry with you today, but it came from an experience that you had, and maybe at the time it was a painful lesson that you learned, but it was a valuable one. So do you have a past experience where you learned a valuable business lesson that came via a difficult experience? Uh, yeah, I do, and... It's more recent than I probably would like to admit. Um, and what I'm about to say, uh, it's a difficult thing to say, but I'm going to forge on here. Um, if you are an employer and you employ a number of people on your staff, an employee is not your friend. An employee is just that. He is there, she is there to earn a wage that they will take home to their families. And your business is only as good to them as their ability to do that. And so long as your business is the best opportunity for them to do that for their family, that's what they should be doing and that's what they will continue to do. But make no mistake about it, because you drink a beer with that guy or you get along with that girl, and you guys have coffee, and you, you, you laugh about your family, your kids, and this sort of thing, that does not mean for a moment that that employee is obligated to you greater than they are obligated to provide for their own family. And when there is another opportunity, that employee should and ought to go after to earn a greater livelihood for their own family. How that employee goes about leaving your company 
there well there's there's a variety of ways that that should be done correctly and a variety of ways that should be done you know is done incorrectly and you know blah 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 um but the point is i'm saying is is that employers should would be well advised to remember that an employee no matter how well you get on with them is not a friend that is two different things in two different categories and forgetting that can can end very very painfully great uh, lesson because for many who run and own small and mid-sized businesses they do have a very personal relationship and a many times very long-term relationship sure. and spend a lot of time with their employees sure and and you can forget sometimes that the basic fundamental of the relationship is employer to employee. That's right. I also hear you saying that it's okay for people to make decisions in their own self-interest first. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. My job as an employer is to be very sober about the opportunity that I have for my employees. And that includes when I have an employee who has outgrown the position or outgrown the company, I need to be very sober about that. If if a position pays you know, $30,000 a year and someone who is interviewing for the first time is accustomed to making double or triple that, then it's not a good fit. Equally, they're going to go pursue another opportunity. Equally, if you have a an employee who comes in at a certain wage level and they grow and they grow and they grow and they go on and they get they work at night and they get an MBA and eventually they're able to build their own skill set and their own marketability to a level that is greater than the position that you have for them, they absolutely should go do something else that provides a greater income to their family. Absolutely that's what they should do. And and as I said, there are right ways to do that and wrong ways to do that, but that's another discussion. The point was employers would would be well advised to remain sober about the fund the foundation of that employer employee relationship and it is not based on friendship perfect well i agree and i'm glad that you've uh, agreed to come on the radio program here for a little bit today on critical mass radio show robert brian johnson not only a serial entrepreneur but a published author of a novel into the Black, A Tale of True American Pedigree. Thanks for being on the program. Welcome to the community, and thanks for being a friend of the radio show. Rick, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on, and, you know, go Braves. All right, thank you very much, and have a good day. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a short commercial break. When we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about an event that I went to on Friday of last week, Friday afternoon, evening at Angel Stadium, as it relates to Oakley. And then we have a little sound of an interview that I did with the CEO of Oakley, Colin Baden. We'll hear all that after we return from this commercial break. The Orange County Business Journal has ranked Commerce National Bank the 26th fastest-growing public company in Orange County, and they remain a Bauer Financial five-star institution. President and CEO Mark Simmons attributes this success to how well the bank treats its customers and employees. Commerce National Bank simply delivers personal service at a higher level than its competitors, while offering technology on par with the big banks. 
If your organization could use a new business bank, call Mary Miller, Senior Vice President at 949-870-3863 or visit them online at www.commercenatbank.com. That's commercenatbank.com. Give Commerce National a chance to do better than your bank and they will handle the rest. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitment in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plans and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Appreciate you listening to the program either live today or as a podcast off of one of our many podcasting services. If you're interested in hearing our interviews with nonprofit business leaders, then I'd say stay tuned to Critical Mass Radio Show because we have a very interesting plan for exposing you to more nonprofit organizations throughout the year here and into the future. As I said before the break, <clears throat> we we're going to talk about my experience last Friday at Angel Stadium, and um, I'd like to just give you a sense for we had an opportunity as we were invited by Oakley to visit their first ever Oakley store, which is housed inside a professional sporting venue. That sporting venue is Angel Stadium, for those of you in Orange County and in Southern California. It opened for fans on April 9th of 2013. The store did, which is the opening day for Angels Baseball Home, their home opener. And that's also the day that Oakley opened their store. Our event was later that week where they invited members of the press to experience the Oakley experience at Angel Stadium and have a chance to speak with a variety of Oakley representatives, Angel baseball representatives, a couple of the players were on hand as well. You get a chance to meet Mark Trumbo and Howie Kendrick. But also you got a chance, more importantly, to experience what Oakley was able to do with a retail outlet inside of Angel Stadium. And it wasn't – it's not simply – their legendary eyeglasses, uh, eyewear, that was on sale there, although there were quite a robust inventory of product. But also they debuted Oakley's MLB-licensed Angels apparel, which includes watches, accessories, as I said, performance sunglasses, and, and much more. The store is about 1,000 square feet, and it's located near Section 113. For those of you that are going to Angel Stadium, it's a must-see and a must-stop. The, the employees who are working the store are highly knowledgeable. The selection is 
is really interesting to see Oakley's take on uh, MLB licensed memorabilia as well as their own products. And it was a great experience to have a, uh, just a few minutes. And I appreciated Colin Baden, CEO of Oakley, giving me a few minutes. I've got some tape that we're going to be playing here in a minute of my short interview with Colin. And Colin has talked to us about, and I invited him to be on a future program. And so be looking, ladies and gentlemen, for a future uh, episode of Critical Mass radio show where we'll feature CEO of Oakley, Colin Baden. By programming note, I also had a chance to spend a little bit of time with Angels baseball chairman Dennis Cool, who was at that event as well. And Dennis is a past guest on the radio show. We invited him to be on the show later this year, and he has graciously agreed. Now we just have to have our producer find a time that fits his busy schedule during the baseball season. So it's not about Angels baseball necessarily. It's about Oakley and their new store. So I'm going to ask our engineer to play the sound that I picked up during my interview. And this is Colin Baden, CEO of Oakley. This is Rick Franzi with Critical Mass Radio Show. I'm with Colin Baden, CEO of Oakley, at the newest Oakley store, and the first one, I understand, to be opened in Angel Stadium. We're going to talk about this store. Tell us a little bit about the concept behind the store, Colin. Well, we have, uh, in North America, we have uh, about a little over 90 wholly-owned retail constructs. Um, Oakley, as a brand, had a long, uh, great relationship with Major League Baseball, and we had always done uh, a, a certain amount of business in different channels throughout the United States, and because of our proximity and our relationship to the Angels team, we thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we built a branded store within the stadium to see if the, the OC brand itself uh partner with Angels couldn't do an interesting business model. And although it's too really too soon to tell on the performance side, as a as a brand experience, um, you know, I think the, both our organization and the Angels organization is pretty excited about what's happening here. And uh, I think as we move through the season, we'll get a better idea of what, what's working, what's not working. But as a way to get close to the Oakley brand, I couldn't think of a better execution in our entire portfolio. Since this is on the radio show, people can't see what you and I are seeing here in the store. It's more than Oakley eyewear. I see a lot of branded merchandise and MLB licensed merchandise. So just kind of talk to us about what they would see when they visit your store here at Angel Stadium. So uh, we now have uh, a license uh, for optics and apparel and accessories with MLB. Um, in this store, you're going to find all MLB uh, Angels uh, pieces, both in accessories, apparel, and, and eyewear. And all of those have our, uh, you know, what I always think we think a little bit differently in our execution. Right. So, I mean, you could go to the stadium and go to your standard, uh, you know, branded product outlet. Well, what you'll see when you come to this store, and really is the only place you'll find Angel-specific product, you'll find an execution of the Angel's brand that's through the Oakley lens. So it's it's just a little bit disruptive, a little bit different than what you would typically see, and uh, I, I like it. I, I like the way it, it, we've interpreted it, and, and I know the Angel's organization itself is, is pretty excited about it, too. Final question for you. 
Do you plan to have other stores like this in other Major League Baseball stadiums? Well, I think if you went across the United States, uh, you're gonna you're gonna find a few programs that have the attendance, like an Angels right. program. So we have a similar model in the Yankee Stadium that's okay. just started at the same time. Excellent. That is a wholesale model where we have a shop and shop, and you know both they're both very different, but the similar uh, Oakley lens is being applied to the branding. So I think you get the, the you know that different perspective that that we provide. How those perform would dictate that maybe in those few other stadiums that have the kind of traffic and lift that, that the, those teams have, we might replicate the model. So if they redo, uh, you know, Wrigley Stadium, right. we, would we be present there or, you know, connected to it in some way? TBD. Great. Well, thank you for your time today and much success with your store. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plan and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Welcome back to Critical Mass. I am your host, Rick Franzi. You had just heard my live interview, taped live interview with Colin Baden, CEO of Oakley. I apologize for the audio quality, but it was quite busy the day that I was there. A lot of interest, a lot of excitement and enthusiasm. I think you heard that in the background. And uh, I want to thank our engineer, Paul Roberts, for sweetening the audio as much as he could off the base recording that we got. But I do appreciate also uh, Colin giving us the time to give us his perspective. And, you know, the Oakley stores are a place to see and experience all things Oakley. And uh, the best of Oakley inventions like eyewear and apparel and footwear and accessories, stuff that Colin talked button oakley stores and products infuse performance technology and style making oakley unlike any brand and and i think you heard that in colin's answers to some of my questions uh, i a couple times i heard him say through the oakley lens and uh what i was really impressed with was the seriousness seriousness with which colin approached how oakley presents its products and its technology and its philosophy on display within this new venue being Angel Stadium. And so, again, I want to thank all the people involved with organizing that event, the invitation that we uh, got here on Critical Mass Radio Show through OC Talk Radio, and the fact that we're going to have Colin on the future program. Uh, very insightful and exciting for us here on the radio show. So that is going to conclude our program today. And I'd like to thank our engineer, Paul Roberts, our producer, Rachel Franzi, our marketing communications manager, Kelly Faltus, and our guest, Corey.
coordinator Kathleen Shepard for making the program possible. Until the next time we have a chance to talk, this is your host, Rick Franzi, saying I hope that all of your decisions move your business in a positive direction. You're listening to Orange County's only station with critical business information, Critical Mass, with your host, Rick Franzi. 